Hi, this is And the Oscar Doesn't Go To. I'm Sam Meltzer, and on this podcast, a guest and myself will be discussing the films that received Best Picture nominations, yet not only failed to win that award, but didn't take home any trophies on Oscar night. Today, Joey Gentili is coming back on the podcast. Uh, It's great to see you back. How are you? Hi. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me back. Yeah. Today, we will be discussing Ben Zeitlin's Beasts of the Southern Wild, which was released in 2012 and got four nominations. So what interests you in discussing this film? Oh, my God. This film holds a very special place in my heart. Um, This is 2012 was the year that I really, really started getting into it. Like, um, I've been watching the Oscars, I remember, pretty much every year since 2000 um because I was a mere lad of eight years old then and I, I but it never really had like the significance of what it was and I remember 2010 was the year that I saw everything in the theater so I, I you know you could say like I started watching in 2010 but 2012 was when I got really passionate like in 2010 I only remember being really passionate about Jackie Weaver and Michelle Williams both of which who did not win who should have won um but I in the next year with really passionate with Rooney Mara who should have won and did she not did she did not win so 2012 is kind of when I really dove deep and when I had my first big like WTF reactions to the winners and let me tell you <laughs> for as much as I love this year this was a, one of the saddest years for no my, wins for beast of the southern wild well in general for any of my winners and i was just like ah but beast of the southern wild there's something very special about it like it's it's an independent film and i love independent film there's such um there's such a collaboration and, a, and a, like a calamity with independent film that you don't get with studio film because it's really the auteur's point of view um, you know, I, I can't imagine Beast of the Southern Wild, how it would have turned out had it, the studio been involved and, you know, making demands. And there's something so magical about this movie. It's, it's really, a, it's, I don't want to say it's a modern fairy tale, but it's a modern. It kind of is. I would say, I, th- I would say that's a good description. Yeah, it it is, but I don't want to use the word fairy tale. I want to say, and I don't want to use the word fable. It's a modern magic is what it is there you go (laughs) yes there's something so special about this movie that is told through narrative and this little girl by the name of Quivenjane Wallace who is just like such a good name such a good name and she plays this this girl hush puppy and it's this world that is real in the form of the bathtub but we've never experienced it before as the quote-unquote outside and it's just it's a beautiful beautiful harmonizing spectacular that was brought to film and it just I fell in love with it the moment I saw it I bought it on blu-ray I watch it like once every two months like it just there's there's something about this little film that could that took three years post-production to premiere and then it just went wild no pun intended but it's it's magical even though it obviously has fantastical elements with the beasts themselves, it feels like even in the parts of it that don't have anything to do with that, it just feels like an adventure. It feels so wondrous because part of it is you're told it's being told from the child's perspective and the child is like such a good character and she's so likable and she's in this environment that is almost unreal, but you're survive. It's, it's all about survival and you're really 
on edge, but it's so creative. And just seeing how a child is so open to all of these possibilities within kind of a dumpster fire of this world, it's really beautiful because I don't know, I think the Covenjane Wallace character sort of reminds you of when you're little and you're running through a grass field and you're not really thinking about anything. That's what her whole world kind of is. And she has this father who isn't always stable, but, you know, they have these packs together and it, and it has a lot of, you know, this cute factor to it because it is a family story. And she's, she was, I think she was like six years old when she filmed this. So there is that, but it's also towards the middle, you get to that point where they get taken to the city and they have to sort of work their way in a more scheduled, calculated place. So you see this very good distinction. I don't know, it, there's just something very magical about it, whether it's the music or whether it's the way it looks and the characters, it all just is not something that you would expect to see at the Oscars. And this movie also came out in June. And I love when movies don't come out in November or December and get nominated for Oscars. There's something so nice about that because I hate this pattern where everything has to come out at the end of the year in order yeah. to campaign. Like back in the 50 years ago, 60 years ago, movies can come out any time of the year and, and be huge contenders. Now that's not how it works. And Beast of the Southern Wild being such an indie movie coming out in June and premiering at Sundance is really cool I, I really love when movies are able to pull something like that off yeah I mean to, to comment on um on the whole when it used to come out back way back when you know definitely because for an example like the silence of the lambs came out in February of 91 like the academy awards for the 1990 season didn't even happen yet and that's crazy to think that like, the last time we've had such an early release it was Black Panther to make it yeah. all the way to oscar stage um but I, you know the other thing i was thinking about as you were talking too i think what really struck with me is i was 20 when this movie came out so for those who do math yes now i'm 30 um and i remember what it was like being 20 and kind of being like am i an adult now am i am i do i have all these responsibilities can i ignore these responsibilities and you know it's a really weird age where you're still kind of developing and and figuring out who you want to be I mean I'm 30 and I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up but like I you know this movie has such a magical presence of like imagination and childhood that I think it really struck with me at that age because it was like one of my favorite things to do as a kid was play like make-believe and this movie has a lot of that and I think that's why it struck with it's has stuck with me so long is because it kind of hit all the right notes of can I still be a kid at that time? Mm -hmm. And also like the individual creativity, because even yeah. though she has other girls that she sort of hangs out with and there are other families in this bathtub, she's yeah. mostly on her own in the film. Yeah. Um, her father isn't in it a lot, but most of the scenes are on her own. And for a six-year-old child to be able to carry a movie... <laughs> that's that's pretty crazy um yeah it's it's insanely impressive <laughs> yeah yeah we need to get her back into the oscar race i want yeah. her to do something that gets her I, back 
now that she's 18 and I really, I really, really, really respect her mom. Her mom was like, you're going to be a kid. You're not going to do this Hollywood bullshit because we really haven't seen her on screen since Annie. And that's eight years ago. Um, you know, she's done TV, but now that she's 18, like, you know, her mom wanted to do her to do school, which by the way, makes me feel really old knowing that this little girl is now 18 years old. But um, now that she's 18, she has full creative control over her career. So she's got a lot of projects coming up, which I'm really excited Good. about. She is the youngest back-to-back actor to have two Best Picture nominations. This and 12 Years a Slave the next year. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's also the youngest Best Actress nominee ever. 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 Do you think anyone could top that? I mean, I, I think so. I... I the the kid who is a Jackie Gleason, the kid. Oh played- yeah, in what Skip Skippy? I think Skipper? he was like seven or eight. Um, so if anyone could beat him, Jackie Cooper, that was it. Let's see. So uh, that came out in thirty one, and Jackie was born in twenty two, so nine. So mm-hmm. maybe not. Maybe she's the youngest. Um, yeah, I think when they when the movies were filmed, she was probably the youngest because movies in the 30s didn't take as long. Right, um, right. Yeah, it says at nine years and 20 days, Cooper is to date the youngest ever nominee for actor. Um, I, I mean, I, I think you could. I think you you could. It's just the type of material. What is the Academy going to respond to now that the Academy is ever changing? And we see that, especially after this year. Um, it, I mean, it could happen. Why not? Let's hope so. Yeah. Because this is a really cool nomination. Like, I, I, mean, I would have been Academy freaking out. Kids. What? The Academy loves kids. Every decade, we get at least one child nominee. So, you know. Yeah. One's got to be coming up this no- this decade. Yeah, I hope so. Who, wait, who was the last one? Was it her? Um, Saoirse Ronan. Oh, who was the last one since her? Mm-hmm. Her. Quivenjane, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully this next year, 10 years later, mm-hmm. we'll get something. Yeah. Yeah. But the movie, as you said, takes place in the bathtub, which is an area, sort of like an island swamp thing outside mm-hmm. of Louisiana. Uh, I don't know which city in Louisiana, but it's not really specified, I don't think. Let's just say uh, New Orleans. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. New Orleans. Yeah. And it's basically the swamp that her and her father, Hush Puppy, played by Coven Janae Wallace, and her father, um, Wink, Dwight I think Henry. is his name, played by Dwight Henry. They live together. They sort of live in these shacks that they created on the island. They survive. They make food for themselves. They occupy themselves with building and sort of working around the island. Um, so they live um, on this island. And it's sort of broken up there's a barrier that was built between the city and all these islands where all these people live because they want people to live on the other side. They don't want these people who they think are animals to live um, with them. And I I think like the first major event is that we learn that Hush Puppy's mother dies, died, um, I think before she was born. We don't, I mean, maybe like when she was really little, like, I don't know. It, it's not really specific. Couldn't be born if her mom died. <laughs> I get what you're saying, though. Like, I get what you were trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> like, during yeah, birth. I, during birth. There you um, go. <laughs> so she basically imagines her mom. 
and I don't know what happened. Like she couldn't find her father. And then she got really angry and decided to burn down one of the houses that she built. I thought that was like the inciting incident. Um, and that sort of, that scene gave me so much anxiety when I watched it for the first time. Because when a kid does something like that, you don't know where it's gonna go and you right. don't know where this is gonna go. So it's just kind of her running around playfully. Well, this house is just casually on fire in the bath, uh, in the background. So what did you think of this opening? Just like introducing the swamp, her community, her background and her burning down a house. Well, what's crazy is that like the burn down of the house happens maybe 20 minutes into it because the opening that as you just mentioned is kind of like the community I mean there's this big festival there's like these fireworks and all you're you're really introduced to the in and outs of what the bathtub community is and it's it lasts a long time like there's this whole point of like this is my life in the bathtub and my daddy says you know the outside is is a whole nother world and it's 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 this beautiful prologue of like a book visually being told to set up this world and it is gorgeous it's it's a it's it's like a hippie commune almost that never went away and it truly is the ideal peace love and live off the earth because these people are considered by like wall street suits that would be like inhabitable savages right like these are these people that need to adapt to society and these people are just living in harmony like doing their own thing and and surviving and listen cps definitely would be called here on numerous occasions so it's like you know that's the magic of it that's the magic of it and um i just think the opening is amazing so by the time you get through all of that and then hush puppy the character we're discovering who she is and the way she lives it and it's feed up time and and you know all this you know she has her own her own house and you know the first few times I'm not gonna lie it took me probably about three or four viewings of this movie to really understand like why she does what she does and to know that it truly is no rhyme or reason it just is I thought was fascinating because it really shows that Ben Zeitlin's direction here is just go with the flow, let it come naturally and let it come organically. And I just think it's fascinating to watch this little girl just be wreck havoc and then, you know, go on this adventure. It's just a part of the adventure. I think part of the reason why go with the flow is such a big part of it is because when you're surviving in an environment like this, you can't really plan to do things because anything can go wrong and just yeah. ruin it instantly. Um, and I, I also like that you get a, it's not really shown as much, but there is a little bit of backstory to the beasts because if they just kind of appeared, it wouldn't really make sense. It's that the te- the woman, um, one, like an older woman who sort of like takes care of the kids around the alley, teaches them about the beasts um, and the cavemen that used to live there. I'm meat, you're meat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that's that's sort of 
another thing, like when you're a little kid and you have an adult that you admire and you look up to and they tell you a fantastical story like this, you're going to believe it and you're going to hold on to that. And I think that her visualizing these creatures later on is definitely a part of that. And as for the festival at the beginning, and I think she says something like, they only have one holiday a year over in the city, but us every day we celebrate. And I love that. That's so cute. It's just mm-hmm. very much a child's dream. Um, and I kind of want to live in this world. I was kind of sad when it ended because this isn't a long movie. It's only like an hour and a half, which is really nice, but like also kind of sad because I, I was really stuck with her. Um, and I want to know where they w- what they keep doing, but I wouldn't want a sequel. So I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> Well, that's that's the thing, too, is that it's not a long movie, but it never feels short. Like, there's so much that happens in this movie. Yeah. That it never feels like, oh, wow, we're we're done already. It kind of feels like like it, it ends correctly because it's so short for quote unquote Oscar movie, but it that never feels its runtime. And I love a movie that doesn't feel its runtime, whether it is shorter or longer, like um. Uh, well, well, I think something like, like I think, The Irishman, for an example, to me, did never felt the full three hours because the editing or Drive My Car this year is a perfect example. The editing is so good in that movie that it never feels overly long. It feels long, mm-hmm. but it's not like oh my god, we still have an hour and a half left. And I like that about a film. This is one of those films that do that. This actually should have probably been in for editing as well. I would like to point that out. And score, I would say. Oh, there's so many. There's so many nominations <laughs> that should have. Here's happened. the thing: like, I was thinking about length when I was watching this movie too. And there's another movie, and I think it's the exact same length. It's okay. It's like four minutes longer. Belfast, which I don't like. I hate. Um, I hate it. And and here's the thing: that movie is also told from a child's perspective. And I was thinking about this. Why does this work, but Belfast doesn't? And it's because the character of Hush Puppy does things that are admirable, childlike, cute, but also things that are dangerous and sneaky. The kid in Belfast is like, there's nothing wrong with him. He doesn't do anything that that gives him a character flaw or really a character trait to the point where, yes, He's cute and and likable to an extent, but what's the point if they're never really going to go at it with this character? And they take a risk because if you make a, uh, if you show a child doing a despicable act, like burning down a house, that's taking a risk. You could lose a connection from your audience, but knowing how, knowing how she feels about everything and how reactive she is, well, how, I don't even know, like how she sort of responds to this environment is so key to understanding the character. Whereas with Belfast, you don't really ever get a true understanding of that character. Yeah, I think I think the the, the thing with Belfast too is that we knew going into it what it was about. Yeah, and, that's part of it. Because that is a historical movie and this is more right. fictional. And the fact that like even today, a decade removed from Beast of the Southern Wild, if someone asks me what my one of my favorite movies of all time is, and I say this one, which I do, and they say, well, what is what is it about? I literally will tell them, go in blind. Do not have preconceived notions about this movie. 
because A, I can't describe it other than it's magical and B, you need to go into it as blind as possible because then you have the experience, the true experience of seeing it for the first time. Yeah. I watched so, this movie not knowing anything except the fact that a nine-year-old kid got a Best Actress nomination. When did you see this for the first time? Right before quarantine started. And that okay. was, yeah, that was like, so I watched this movie after hearing about it, after hearing that she got like broke history with the nomination. This was really one of the first two months that I got into Oscars. Mm-hmm. I had watched the Oscars and kind of cared about them since like the Moonlight La La Land year. Mm-hmm. But this was like, like right after like the Parasite season, that's when I really got into the Oscars. And this was like one of the last movies I watched before the coronavirus hit. And mm-hmm. I remember I watched it because he came out with another movie and that movie, Wendy, was so bad. I was so disappointed. So it was so bad. I don't know what happened. I was so excited, especially after watching this, because um, this was so good. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, this was like one of the first um, like Oscar movies that I had ever seen, really, in, in terms of, you know, completing like goals. Um, and I hadn't seen it since then. And that was like, when I was watching so many movies that I needed a refresher. I remember liking it a lot, but I didn't remember much about it. And this was really nice to catch up on. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with Ben Zeitlin's career. It makes me really sad, especially because he, like the magic, I don't want this to be like a one hit wonder for him. But I also, <laughs> this is no Tino Shea, no Pink Lemonade. But like, I always wonder what, these filmmakers and actors do in between jobs to pay the bills because there was no way in hell he was still living off of Beasts of Southern Wild money for a decade. Yeah. Because it was pretty much eight, nine years in between films. and Yeah, eight years. So like, what did he do for work? It's kind of like this actress, (laughs) Tuesday Weld. Oh my God. (laughs) Like, what what has she done since 2001? I don't get it. Like, who pays her bills? Because there's no way in hell she's still living off of acting money from way back. Yeah. You know what I mean, here's like I also always wonder when you have a debut. This was his debut, right? Mm-hmm. When you have a debut movie and you're set to come out with another movie, I don't know what you're supposed to expect from that because you get a Greta Gerwig with Little Women and Lady Bird. Like that is like one big Oscar player to another big Oscar player. And then you get a Jordan Peele who has this big Oscar player and like, you don't really know what to do. And like, he comes up with another movie that may not get any Oscar buzz, but is still really successful. But then you have like others like like Ben Zeitlin and you don't know what to expect. Like, could Wendy be another Oscar player or is it just not? So you don't really know what to expect when a debut filmmaker makes a second movie after getting all of these Oscar nominations and this kind of falls into that trend well that's the thing too is that like I know the business is very hard trust me I get it but like you're an Oscar nominated director like a surprise director nomination uh, uh, two like like why did it take so long and then you pretty much give us Peter Pan like the shaky cam used in that film is annoying and the shaky cam used in this film is brilliant i would say it makes sense for this movie for wendy it does it's just bad (laughs) well hopefully ben zeitlin can make another movie like this 
but I'm I'm worried. I just want to see more from him. Um, I want to see more from Quinvagene. I just the whole team, like even Lucy Alabar, who got who was part of the nomination for um writing with this had a movie come out on amazon with viola davis like troop zero or something oh yeah bad 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 if you're an oscar nominee you should like be required to get offered like at least 10 projects yes yes well it's like ingenue ellis should have 20 project line projects lined up right now you think right but like i mean even i remember not how it works henson talking about like a couple years probably actually when empire had when she was promoting empire the first season she had mentioned after her oscar nomination and for 2008's benjamin button she had no offers she still had to go out and audition like that's insane to me yeah i feel like in an industry where you are nominated let's talk about not even winning the industry's highest honor because winning should instantly just guarantee you work for life like period nomination should guarantee you meetings in the room for life where you don't have to audition yeah like it's it's so weird to me offers like a winner but you should instantly get in that room yeah so make it make sense just it's just so weird to me yeah doesn't make sense and then someone like june squibb too she got she stars in Nebraska, gets an Oscar nomination, and then they just put her as the old lady in all these dumb comedies. It's like, well, well, like I mean, I love I I love I don't love June Squibb in Nebraska, but like I love June Squibb in other things. But you know, she kind of is the old lady in all these comedies because <laughs> that's what her shtick is. I mean, she's not gonna be playing Black Widow, so. But I know. I don't know. You, yeah, I, know. I just kind of wish that these people were given more of a chance. Well, June's only got a couple years to go. She's about to be a hundred, so more <laughs> power know. to her. <laughs> let's let's hope Ben Zeitlin yeah. comes out with something else. Maybe yeah. like survival in a desert. Listen, at this point, <laughs> the dude might just end up directing porn because I don't like he doesn't have anything <laughs> on the docket, and the dude's got to make money. So, and you know, not not knocking porn never anyone's first plant you know <laughs> but gotta do what you gotta do to pay the bills yeah well anyways back to beasts of the southern wild so after the incident of the fire um the island the swamp floods um and this is an interesting scene because you see how kind of positive they are about it the whole time mm-hmm. because even for the father, it's still kind of adventurous. I wouldn't say he's childlike, but he is very much woven into her world. They're very much in sync in what they do. I love how he always tells her not to cry. Mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting tick of sorts. And the island basically floods. And you see how, and I'm sure this has happened before, and you see how they survive, how they catch fish, um, eat food with this. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it gets kind of, well, I don't really know how to explain this. We get the backstory of her mother, who was really tough and a fighter. And I think they showed her kill, killing a, an alligator um, and sort of how she, he taught her when she was younger. But I don't know how, how much of a gap is between like the island flooding and 
you know, everyone sort of collaborating to help each other until they get washed up into the hospital. Like, I don't know how much, I can't really like put my pin down on how much time is between those two parts of the story, but those are the next two parts of the story. I just don't know if I'm jumping ahead too quickly or not. No, that's the thing. It's one of those moments in the movie where I said earlier, like you can't explain this movie. You can yeah. talk about it, but when you talk about it, you sound crazy because it's like because <laughs> you know it's like I mean? they're doing all these weird things and the narrative isn't really cohesive. Yeah, it feels like a couple of days. Um, it could be a day, it could be two days. Um, but you know, it, it, it I don't know. I don't know the time frame. Yeah. But what do you think about the flood scenes? Let's just go off of there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because you're still learning about what the bathtub is. Like, you're learning how this community functions, how they live. Um, you know, you see that the livestock around them dies. There's, you know, there's shots of, like, this industrial plant that, like, they live behind. Um, it's the last, you know, it's, it's quoted as being, like, the last untouched part of Earth. That's And that's why they try to keep it as real as possible um you know and it's it's interesting too because you see a good chunk of these people leave the bathtub and go into the world to avoid the flooding so that you know this community is used to something like this and we have to think like this takes place in louisiana post katrina so you know do you imagine what it was like during katrina Right, right. I mean, God, I was, I think it was like the seventh grade when Katrina hit and just like watching it was one thing, like imagine being there, like, no, there's no way. So, you know, a good chunk of these people are leaving. Uh I don't want to do that again. And then there's the quote unquote organics of the group and the organics stay at the home base. Uh And now we're following them and they throw a party and there's just like this this life in them, this spirit that truly can't be killed. And I think it's beautiful. It, it it's, is. It's magic. Because they're so hopeful and positive. Yeah. Yeah. And whenever something bad happens, they recognize it and they try to solve it. And if they realize they can't solve it, they work with it. Yeah. And they do that at every turn. And it's kind of impressive. Mm-hmm. Because like, they don't really have an urge to die. They aren't really melancholic or sad in any way they're Mm -hmm. tough and they and they're surviving and and they they want to believe that they're thriving but there's never this belief as a viewer that they're suffering right there's never that the ben zeitlin never tries to make you feel bad for them unless they feel bad about something and i really like that because i don't like watching misery porn especially in these oscar movies because it's really these directors and these writers showing you a historical event or a, a place where people are suffering and it's saying, look how awful it is. Like another movie nominated in this category, The Impossible. It's just like, that is misery porn, I would say. Um, that is just like two hours of, of Naomi Watts panting and you know the kids swimming around. And I, I don't like that movie. Like I get that it's an, an important historical event to talk about, but I think that in, in contrast to Beast of the Southern Wild, it, it really tries to build up its characters and show you how fearless they are versus showing these other characters who you, like you're supposed to feel bad because of how desperate they are. And I don't really like that. And obviously like maybe the people in that tsunami felt that way 
And maybe in a situation like this, the characters wouldn't feel that way. Maybe I just prefer this situation better. Maybe I'm more interested in watching this. I don't know. <laughs> oh, the impossible. Ugh. We'll get to that soon. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's... Curiosity is, I think, another ingredient here and I might have mentioned it earlier that Ben Zeitlin is really playing with because you're watching this go down and you're like okay everything's flooded how do they live how are they going to survive this what's going to happen and the curiosity keeps you watching it keeps you going it keeps you interested because the plan they come up with is not the best but I get why they have to do it because there's all these factors that go into it and the thing the one thing we didn't mention though is that before this happens there's like a period of time where um hush puppy's dad like disappears oh yeah and then he comes back and she thinks she kills him so she runs to i think her name is Bathsheba, and she he, she's like here get, give your dad th this medicine and runs back and all of a sudden he's just fine so now we're also wondering what's going on with this dad like where did he go why why did he collapse and you know there's a lot mm -hmm. going on here at the at once yeah and I remember she talks about and this is another part of the childlike imagination that I love he's like she's like my dad could be anywhere he could be this tree he could have turned into this this bug or this flower and sometimes you think about these things when you're little and that really captures that and her and then speaking of that her voice overwork is so compelling um, because it makes the film feel very literary. And yeah. I don't think, I think if a movie feels like a book, it's better than when a movie feels like a play. Yeah. Um, and, and narrative performances like this don't get nominated very often. In no. fact, I can't think of the last time since this it has. Yeah. And yeah. I like that aspect of the character because the film has the shaky cam and a lot of moments where it could detract from the facial expression that she's making. So I think it is important to know how she's feeling verbally. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as for the father, I think it's clear early on that he has some sort of sickness. Um, and that, I think that's a part of it that like this uh, survival isn't benefiting his health. Yeah. But I think another message that it tries to, to show you is that people who live in the wild, in these communities that are based in nature and have generations passed down who also lived in these communities and have always, and, and for their life since they were born, lived in these communities, they are more likely to live longer if they stay there unhealthy than if they're transported to a hospital because your body physically is not used to a hospital environment and this quote unquote normal way of feeding and bathing yourself. It, it's your body just isn't used to that. So you're probably going to, your body is probably going to get confused. So you're mm. more likely, these people are more likely to survive longer by staying in the bathtub and continuing their ways than by going to the hospital. And I don't think that's stated explicitly in the film, but I think that's a message because they talk about these people who uh, I think Quimendini's character says, you know, they're, they're put to the bed. They're plugged into the bed to die. Mm -hmm. And if they aren't, if she's saying, if my father 
I don't want my father to end up here because he's going to end up being plugged into the bed and he's going to die. And if he were to be in my, in my community longer, he would probably live longer. And I think that's an interesting theme because you don't really hear about that much since most movies don't take place in these tribal communities outside of suburban and urban areas. Yeah, I mean, even it's the opposite. You know, you live in the biggest concrete, concrete jungle in the world. <laughs> like, imagine you leave Manhattan for the bathtub. Yeah, and like vice versa too. Like if and you live versa. in a city community and you right. transport to this, your body isn't going to be able to right. work with it. Right. So it's it's kind of it's kind of insane. Just I know it. I feel I feel like I sound like a broken record already. It's just the magic of the story. <laughs> they really yeah, you all need to watch this movie. Yeah, <laughs> just like watch the movie. I mean, don't yeah. know that many people, at least in our Twitter circle, who haven't. Uh, but it's really yeah. beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful it's wonderful the hospital scene is just so awful to to watch it's first of all where is cps though like where it's it's like like all these kids just escape and run but that that's that's the brilliance of the movie is that we're supposed to be confused on why these things are happening to where like it just makes sense it just makes sense for these group of characters but it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking yeah because you see you know how they also like socially in in an environment like a hospital she's not going to behave the way people expect her to I remember she was they were trying to group all the kids together and this girl kept yelling at her saying are you listening to me (laughs) this woman is like are you listening to me she's just standing there like she's just standing there still because she doesn't know what to do she's not Mm -hmm. used to an environment like this right um but also she's not worrying about that because she wants to live in the bathtub her whole life. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That that's just a hard scene to talk about too, because it's not really easy to pinpoint exactly what's going down. I mean, at the end, she there there's a bus that's going to take them away from it that they hear about and they all try to escape. And then her father sort of tries to get her on that bus and he stays back. And then she jumps off the bus because she thinks he's he's trying to abandon her, but in reality, he just doesn't want her to watch him die. Um, and that's another part of their relationship. He's not very good at communicating with her sp- specific things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why that's brought up. I mean, maybe that's part of his him dying and his sickness. Do you have any thoughts on that? I, I, I just never really pinpointed that. I don't, I think... I think the father is just, you know, he witnessed the love of his life die, that he doesn't want his other love of his life to feel and go through that pain that he's in. That's why he's so hard on her, because he knows that he has a limited time left. You know, there's that there's that scene early on in the beginning that we were talking about with like the the prologue with the fireworks where the truest moment of that father-daughter relationship happens there with that when he falls to the ground and looks up at his daughter and smiles and there's so much love in his face and his eyes when she points the firework at him and then goes psych and points it up that is the most beautiful moment I think in the movie when I watch it because and it's so early on too which is crazy but it's you know this is his little girl and then the camera pans back to him and there's kind of like a melancholiness to his to his eyes because he knows what's happening to him. And then we learn, you know, as the movie goes along, 
but it, it's like the last pure moment they have so, because the rest of the time it's like he's teaching her you know beast it this is how you do it this is you know feed up time yeah feed up time he's he's teaching her how to survive because he's got only so much time left so mm-hmm. i get why he is the way he is with her but at the same time it's it's heartbreaking it is but then you have this amazing scene where well i mean it's it's her oscar clip how could it how could it not be amazing i thought you know honestly i thought it was kind of crazy that that was her oscar clip same but like what else were they going to do because she doesn't have that much dialogue in the movie honestly i could have seen one of two things happen it could have been either the storm where she watches him shoot at the sky because there's a lot of acting people have to remember acting is reacting acting is not about who whose line delivery is best and this is a prime example of what acting is so either that scene i thought really could have been the oscar scene or the scene where she is if you want a good dialogue scene with acting where where she realizes her dad is dying and she's crying with him like i'm i'm gonna get this movie brings me to tears i'm gonna cry just thinking about it right now where he's like yeah i started you know, crying during go. that scene <laughs> yeah he's like i gotta go and she's like all right take care and she know it's it's so sad like yeah. that would have been such a great oscar scene so the, yeah. the, 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 but the I'm, I'm the man scene is such a good like resemblance of her is. character and like their relationship so i like that they chose that and you yeah. also get her re- like her quick reaction to the chair flying across the room and she's kind of scared so she's tough and then like a little nervous yeah all at once it's it's great choice yeah i love it (laughs) it's such a good performance yeah (sighs) but then there's like there's like this i think the one part of the movie that we didn't talk about was getting back home where she gets to experience the boat life so she gets to that we see her in three worlds we see her in the life of the bathtub in the swamp in the wild we see her in the city in society in a hospital and then we see boat nightlife which mm-hmm. i thought was interesting so basically her and a few other girls who haul escape, ass across this who fucking, fucking swim in the dirty water yeah. <laughs> go um they land on like a like a tower um with a man who sort of takes them to a nightlife a boat nightlife center mm-hmm. place where we're, we're not really sure of what it is but yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like a bar restaurant boat thingy who knows yeah. and it, there's this scene where he, he brings all these toddlers in and he's like oh I brought some toddlers and they're all like oh they're so cute like like it, it's kind of jarring because no one really asks where they where he got them from no one really asks where they came from where are their parents taken care of their their mother they are yes and i think that's that's like this whole community outside of louisiana that doesn't live in the city i think that's part of it um that they're willing to embrace each other Mm -hmm. um and and i like that little moment that she has with the woman um who sort of shows her how how you can cook an alligator I don't know that that's like an that's not really you know like the most powerful moment in the film but it is another layer to her adventure that is very creative and I really liked it yeah it's um because this person she thinks you know 
her dad's sick so she wants to go find her mom and her mom remembers like there's a dialogue in her head of who her mom is you know the mom speaks during the fire and so she thinks she's got to go find her mom and then when she goes to find this woman who i'm pretty sure is the same actress we see shoot the alligator represents the, the mother oh yeah figure. you know once she realizes that she's gone too like there is no mom we see hush puppy as a character really come into the young woman that she is because she leads all these kids back to safety and home and you know i'm jumping ahead here a little bit and we'll get to it more in more detail but like the end shot of her on the boat being the captain is like the antithesis of her character having to grow up and mm. it's it's so beautiful it's so and she has to do it on her own because both of her parents aren't with her yeah. anymore and this is her realization of being here on this like ship of ship of women like but i think she'll be able to do it <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah she's tough oh yeah. yeah it's it's really great it's so good it's so good we kind of covered every plot point because there I aren't know. that many major plot points well you know i'm looking at the time and you know we're we're coming up on a clean hour and i remember when we oh when we did, okay well well no <laughs> that's crazy i think that's amazing because i know when we did the five easy pieces episode because there's so much going on in that movie i think there's more going on in beasts but there's the more movie, like going on but right. there's less like going on right <laughs> that makes like, sense the, the, like there's like the plot points tie in so cleanly in this movie that when you actually talk about it you can't talk about without talking about the other points so you bring them up together and i think that's why like i'm like i said i'm looking at the time and it like clean hour is such a brilliant way to describe this movie but there's still so much more to it yeah yeah i mean we can like get into that when we talk about the oscars too because that always expands it but we do have a question from owen daly Mm -hmm. um asking basically if he thinks um, if he, Dwight Henry, he would, if he were nominated, do you think that he could have won? That's a hard question because if, if he's nominated, are we going with six nominees? Are we going with the five? And if we're going with the five, who's out? You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's do that. If, if they were, if he were to get nominated, who would have been replaced? I don't know. See, if we're doing a personal, if, okay, well, if we're taking, if we're doing a personal, I personally disqualify Christoph Waltz and Philip Seymour Hoffman because they're lead roles in the supporting category. And I don't mess with category fraud. That's not, that's not right. In my <laughs> well, yeah. So I think Alan Arkin is out though. Cause he's Alan Arkin isn't a best picture winner here. That's the thing. And, it's difficult but, because all five of these men, as Emma Stone said it, are Oscar winners. Right. So it's like, who would get taken out? I don't think it would have been, obviously not Christoph Waltz. But if we're taking out someone, everyone's in a Best Picture nominee except Philip Seymour Hoffman. But he did win something. 
He won. I think he won the Critics' Choice for this. Did he win Critics? Because I know Tommy Lee Jones won SAG. Yeah, he did. And Philip Seymour Hoffman won the Critics' Choice, which I know like doesn't mean much. Right. But Alan Arkin isn't in that movie for very long. And so it's difficult no, though because right. I don't know if it would have been Robert De Niro because they love that movie so much they and they love, love Robert Silver De Niro. Playbook. Silver Lining showed up in places like supporting actors that they didn't expect, it, or, you know, to show up. Okay. I think it would have been Alan Arkin because, like, even though like Argo won Best Picture, it still missed a director nomination, which was the shock of the nominations. Okay, so you're saying Alan Arkin. So for you, if Alan Arkin is out and Dwight's there, and you're looking at the performances. Does Dwight win? No, because Philip Seymour Hoffman did that. I would say. Okay. Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Master is my favorite supporting actor nominee of the decade. Really? Yeah. Okay. And Joaquin Phoenix is my second favorite best actor nominee of the decade behind Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory. Okay. So (laughs) in this lineup... I love that movie. (laughs) In the five... I think De Niro should have won in a cakewalk. I think he's brilliant in Silver Linings Playbook. Out of the supporting performances, yes, yes I, I agree. Um, if I am answering Owen's question, I don't think Philip Seymour Hoffman gets in because everyone else, unfortunately, is in Best Picture. Yeah, everyone else is in Best Picture nominations. Does Dwight win though? No, no. No. They wouldn't do that. Against four Oscar winners, it just doesn't... Yeah, I don't think there is a single... I mean, there might be. There's a chance for everything, but I don't think there's a single scenario if you take out any one of these specific five where Dwight Henry wins this. No. (laughs) No. I would love the nomination, though. I thought, you know, I thought he deserved one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Especially over Alan Arkin, who doesn't do anything in that movie. I don't understand why people don't think Alan Arkin is good in that movie. I rewatched Argo when we did our episode for that, and I was like, he's really funny in this. I thought he's delightful. I think I don't think he should go higher than. Wait, is he my runner-up? He's either second or third place for me, because I don't remember where I put Tommy Lee. I don't love the Tommy Lee Jones performance I don't, either. Maybe no, I think Ar- no, Alan Arkin is my runner up. Yeah, because I don't love Tommy Lee Jones in that. Here's the thing. I don't love Tommy Lee Jones or Alan Arkin. I think Robert De Niro's good. I think Christoph Waltz is good. It should have been DiCaprio. If you're going to nominate a I don't love actor him as much as other people, but I guess mm-hmm. Philip Seymour Hoffman is the only performance here that like I feel strongly about in any way. Okay. Yeah, I think Philip Seymour Hoffman's really good. I just, he's a If he were in the leading category, it would be a different question. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely a one of the two leads, which is crazy because the master in the movie is Amy Adams. Oh, like yeah, she, I read about that. Like, that's what's, that's what's nuts about that. And she is a, you know, she's supporting, but like the master, the titular role is Amy Adams. So it's, it's kind of nuts. It is nuts. But I don't know. That movie really feels like the Oscars would only recognize it for acting. Like, I don't, like, they would never give that a nomination to anything else. Even though they love nominating PTA, I don't think it was close to getting it like a screenplay or director nomination or anything, just because they're not really, they don't like that kind of movie. 
Uh, I mean, it would be interesting to know how this lineup would do with the current Academy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't, I love 2012 as a whole. And I think the only two weak spots in this year really are like Les Miserables and Lincoln. But like, even Life of Pi, I don't love. But like, I think those are the three outside. Everything else is great. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want to get into the actual categories, <laughs> we can start with adapted screenplay, where it's nominated against Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Linings Playbook, and Argo wins this award. So would you give Beasts of the Southern Wild adapted screenplay? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm looking at the nominees here. Argo, I, see Argo, remember too, this was the year that Michelle Obama had given oh, yeah. best picture away. We, we were in a, as a country, we were in a, an election year and it was a very, you know, it was the last quote unquote normal election year we would have for a very long time. Um, and so Argo had not only the campaign, but the political campaign behind it too. I like Argo as a film. I think it's great. Like, but you look at this category and really like the most unique choice here is Beast of the Southern Wild. And I think it's the most original choice. And I think it should have won. It's my runner up. Okay. My winner is Silver Linings Playbook in this category. Okay. As okay. a script, I think I think that is the best. But mm-hmm. I understand that like Beast of the Southern Wild is the most like novel. It feels more like it feels the most adapted screenplay of these. If mm-hmm. I'm doing a ranking, I would say third is Lincoln. And then the other two, I don't really get, like, I like Life of Pi a lot. I love Life of Pi, but it's not really about the script. Like, even if you don't, even if you love that movie, I don't know why the script is recognized. It's a good story, but it's not, I don't get that nomination. And then I just don't like Argo at all. So I would say that's last. Yeah, no, not at all. Okay. Well, I think, I think another thing too, that for me, that might help with Beasts of the Southern Mob winning this is because it doesn't feel adapted. It feels the most original story out of yeah. the five. So I think having yeah. is also a shock. Maybe I'm just basing myself on the dialogue then. Because I, re- I really love Silver Linings Playbook. I like so that movie more than most people. the only David O. Russell movie I like. Same. The only yeah. one. And there I, don't, is- I actually don't hate Joy, though, like other people do. I don't hate Joy. I actually own Joy on Blu-ray. I've never watched it, though. But I... You've never never, watched it? No, I've seen Joy. I've never watched my Blu-ray copy. Oh. I'm never like, I'm going to watch Joy. Because I just remember watching the movie, and it's... The the trailers sell it as a mob movie, and then it's a mop movie. Yeah. (laughs) It's such a deceiving little shit. It is. I don't know though. Maybe Beast of the Southern Wild is the right choice. It's difficult because I love them both. Me thinks it is. Well, (laughs) best director. This was a this lineup. I would have not been able to predict. I yeah. There was there was a front runner wasn't here. 
who won Everworlds? When was the last time? When has that ever happened where someone won all the precursors and still didn't get nominated? No, in a major I, category. It should happen more often. It should. It really. And I, I, I remember people thought Spielberg would win. But on what? That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, outside of his name, what did Spielberg have any chance of? You know what I mean? I mean, it could have been Ben Zeitlin. That's that's the crazy Can thing. Can you imagine? Well, yeah. the, the lineup is Michael. I, I never know how to pronounce this. I've heard Michael Haneke. I've heard Michael Haneke. I've heard Michael Haneke. I've heard Michael Haneke. I've heard a thousand different pronunciations for the man that directed Amor. I've heard, um, what am I saying? The other nominees were Steven Spielberg for Lincoln, David O. Russell for Silver Linings Playbook, and the winner was Ang Lee for Life of Pi. So would you give Ben Zeitlin the best director win? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I I don't, okay. Life of Pi, don't love it. Don't love it. It's one of the three in the picture lineup that I don't love. It, it's it's too basic for me. It, it's... It's it's Mowgli on a boat, uh-huh. you know. It's 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 yeah. It's Mowgli on a boat, and it's not anything to write home about. Ang Lee won for Brokeback. Personally, I wouldn't have given it to him for Brokeback. I would have given it to him for Crouching Tiger. Why? Oh, well, he- I give it to him for both. <laughs> <laughs> I don't love Brokeback Mountain, um, so that's why I'm like meh. But. I, you know, why did we need to give this to him? He already had one. If you're going to give it to someone based off of not winning, you had three options there. But Life of Pi is more of a technical achievement, if anything, than it is a director. And I think that, well, that's probably why it won director. Because it wins cinematography and all these technical awards. I love this win, actually. Do you? Um, yeah. Because, I, I mean, I, I, it's kind of cool that he beats Spielberg twice. Okay. okay. And I, I think it's interesting that he wins here after not winning any of the precursors and loses for Crouching, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon by, after winning all the precursors. Uh, but I, I think Ben Zeitlin is probably the, the right choice here. I, I would say so. Yeah. If I'm... I don't I'm, really like the David O. Russell nomination in directing. I don't really understand why... I mean, they really like the movie. They really, that's, yeah. If I'm if I'm going to rank these from my personal to fifth, I would go Ben Zeitland, Michael Haneke, David O. Russell, Spielberg, and then Ang Lee. Oh, wow. You really don't like Life of Pi. I really don't like, it's, it's, it's not good. It's not. It's Mowgli on a boat. I like it because I grew up with the book. And I watched which this, fine, which is great. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And I do you think. Do you at least think it deserves cinematography? Who's in that lineup? Let's talk about that. Okay. Who's in that lineup? <laughs> Let's go. Um, it was Anna Karenina, Django Unchained, Lincoln, and Skyfall. I mean, no, really, not with that five. No, with that five, I would actually probably go Anna Karenina. And I love, I think Life of Pi cinematography is like beyond, but. No, and, and you know, that that's that's fine. Like, I don't love Anna Karenina as a story, 
But if that had anything going for it, that was that cinematography for sure. It's pretty. I, I would have put Beasts, Beasts of Southern Wild in that category. And if it was, would you give it the win? I'm taking out Lincoln for that. Because even though I don't like Life of Pi, I can see why it's there for cinematography. I can see why. I don't understand why Lincoln's in there for cinematography, though. But do I give it the win? No. I, I still give it to Anna Karenina. It's pretty. I will say that. It's it's a costume drama. Yeah. <laughs> um, as for my director rankings, I would say... First, Ben Zeitlin. Second, Ang Lee. Third, Michael Haneke. Fourth, Steven Spielberg. And fifth, David O. Russell. Like, I love Silver Linings Playbook so much, but mm-hmm. it's not about the directing. I, it's about the writing for me and the yeah. acting. Yeah. So I would, I would do that. Yeah, there you go. We're going to do Actors Last, of course. So Best yeah. Picture alongside Beasts of the Southern Wild are Amor, Django Unchained, Les Mis, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Linings, Playbook, Zero Dark Thirty, and Argo is the winner. I'm pretty sure I know your answer, but is Beasts of the Southern Wild your favorite of this lineup? Beasts of the Southern Wild is my absolute favorite in this lineup. Now, do I think it should have won Best Picture? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. When I choose best picture, there's got to be a couple things for me. If I'm a voter, right? It's got to be the time it comes out in. So I have to put myself in the mindset of like the time period and, and why it's here and why it's, you know, why it's nominated. I also have to vote on rewatchability. I think it's the most enjoyably rewatchable movie in this whole lineup. And with those two, that's how I put my vote in. For an example, my favorite movie in the 2009 lineup is Precious, but I would vote for District 9 as the best picture winner because it's the You do most... not want to rewatch Precious. <laughs> well, that, but also two, District 9 is most like original of that lineup. So, you know, I also play that. And so that's what I also look at Beats here. Beats is the most original and it's the most uniquely unique film and it's rewatchable as hell. So yeah, Beasts of the Wild. I struggle here. I have three movies that I don't know how to pick between. And that's Silver Linings Playbook, Beasts of the Southern Wild, and Amor. Oh. Because I all think they deserve Best Picture for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And I don't know which of the three I think should have won. Because I think I enjoy Silver Linings Playbook the most. Mm-hmm. I think Beasts of the Southern Wild is the most interesting and creative. And I think Amor is like the most like well-made. Mm, okay. I don't know, like in terms of how much I enjoy it, I, I, like I, I would go Silver Linings Playbook. But like in terms of like, I think I agree, like maybe Beasts of the Southern Wild is like the right choice. So I struggle. <laughs> Yeah. It's difficult. I mean, all I know is that Lame is is definitely not. Yeah. Lame is <laughs> is terrible. Is that your least favorite as well? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That, that would be my ninth. That'd be my, my ninth. eighth would be Argo. 
Wow, you yeah. don't like it. No, I don't like it. My seventh. Argo, <laughs> Argo was one of the coolest in theater experiences I've ever had. As like watching with a group of, of strangers in a dark theater. It was like, te- like I literally. It's it fine. Like, I, I think it's fine. It, and did, But you didn't experience it in a theater, did you? No. <laughs> there was something when I, when you hear like edge of your seat thriller, it was the only time in my entire lifetime I've ever been literally edge of my theater seat. Like I remember halfway standing up and everyone in the theater was so filled with tension when they're, you know, when they're taking off and you think they're going to get caught. And it's like, oh my God. And it was one of the coolest theater experiences I've ever, I've ever had in my life. So I, I uh-huh. can't hate on it for that. Okay. I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Maybe I would have had a different experience, but I just think it's fine. Yeah. My seventh is Lincoln. My sixth is Zero Dark Thirty. My fifth is Django Unchained. My fourth is Life of Pi. My third, second, and first are the three I talked about that I don't want to rank because it's difficult to rank them. <laughs> Gun to head. You have to vote for one. You're an Academy member. Who gets your top spot? Okay, maybe I'm more third. Okay. I rewatched both of these movies yesterday. <laughs> We're going to be here for a long time. We are, and I'm not letting you off the hook. <laughs> you have to put one at one. Why? I'm not an Academy voter. So but I. You, but in this scenario, you're an Academy voter and you have to rank these. I'd put Beasts of the Southern Wild first because even if I rewatch, I want to rewatch Silverlands Playbook more and I know it better. I I think Beasts of the Southern Wild is more interesting as a movie. So, sure. You agree. It should have won Best Picture. Fine. I agree, but very, <laughs> very barely. Okay. Okay. And then we can do like a Academy Queen style for this Best Actress lineup because we have a lot to get into. Yes, we do. This is, this is, I love this lineup. I think it's an amazing category. I think there are some really phenomenal performances here. Um, so Jessica Chastain is nominated for her role as Maya in Zero Dark Thirty. What are your thoughts? She is so good here. And this is one of my favorite- Academy Award winner, Jessica Chastain. Academy Award winner as of last Sunday. Um, Academy Award winner Jessica Chastain is amazing here. She is so good. I don't know if you're if you know this, but I, I remember talking about this on Academy Queens. Was th- this was Jessica Chastain was a an eleventh hour replacement for this role? Yeah. Um, Rooney Mara was supposed to play this role, which I Rooney Mara is my favorite actress in modern day. So I like I always wonder like what could have been, but no, um, Chastain is amazing, and I also have a fondness for and a love for this role because this, the monologue that she does about um, um, you want you, you want to uh, nail some low level mola crackadola. So you can the check truth the is, off. yeah, the, <laughs> and th- and that res- that monologue has come in handy for me twice in my lifetime. I used it to get into Yale drama, and. I also used it to get signed by my manager. So I was like, yes, thank you, Jessica Chastain and Zero Dark Thirty. 
Um, I think she's brilliant here. And I think there's so much that's happening. It's interesting though, because there is a good, in the last hour, there's a 25 minute chunk where she's not in it, but you yeah. still feel her presence because at the, that last shot that everyone always talks about that everyone is like, this should have sealed her Academy Award win is when she's laying back after they get Osama bin Laden and she's laying back against the the wall and she takes the first sigh, like the first breath it seems that Maya has taken in her lifetime. It is gorgeous. Chastain is yeah. amazing. But the truth is, you don't understand Pakistan. And you don't you either, know al so The thing that I need, or the other thing that you can have in your resume, is being the first station chief to call before a congressional committee for subverting the efforts to capture or kill bin Laden. Oh, I still got it. I still got it. Yeah, that's a great monologue. I think she's very good in this movie. Um, I don't love the movie because yeah. I think it's way too long. And I think that there are times where it gets repetitive. Yes. Um, I agree. She's very good. Uh, I, I I understand that it was a choice to make her character kind of like a blank slate. Like she only focuses on where she doesn't have much of a life outside of that. that you're not supposed to know more about her because there isn't any more to know about her. But to me, it's not as good as Fade on Away in Network is what I'm hinting at. It's it's like, she's very good, but I don't know. I, I'm kind of missing something. Okay. Okay. See, I'm kind of missing something, but again, like I don't know if it's it's anything about her acting. I think it may be more of the character and the way that the movie is paced. Well, remember too, this is what also played into this nomination because remember, Zero Dark Thirty was supposed to be the big film, and it got and it got derailed. So, it, like Bigelow didn't get nominated. Yeah, it didn't get many technical nominations. Like going into Oscar season, this is every this is the one that everyone thought would sweep everything. This was the one. Um, yeah, and it didn't. Also, in the well. height of the Jessica Chastain mania, because you know she had seven oh. the year before, she had another three or four come out this year. This was the height of her power in Hollywood before. Yeah, and I think I think that her not being. Yeah, I think that her not being in those parts of the movie did take away from her chances. Plus, knowing how much the Academy loves Silver Linings Playbook and didn't like Zero Dark Thirty really helped Jennifer Lawrence. Like, that really boosted well, her. Plus, Amore got the same nominate, a, n- a number of nominations as Zero Dark Thirty. That is nuts. And the nominations that Amore got, you can't really nominate it for anything else aside from the lead actor who wasn't ever in the conversation. Well, supporting you. Or, or Isabella Huppert. Like, but they were never in the conversation. Like, that was it. You could have nominated Zero Dark Thirty for, like, at least five more things. And they didn't. So Amore and Silver Lennings Playbook peaked at the right time. I think, I think Jessica Chastain wasn't even close to winning this year. Which I know seems crazy, considering... That she she won some of the awards, but those were at the beginning of the award season. I agree with you. I don't think she was second at all. No, I think Emmanuel Riva. I would have predicted Emmanuel Riva. Knowing me, I absolutely would have. I also don't think she was second. <laughs> what? I don't. Okay. You really think Quavenjane Wallace was that close? I to have winning? my reasons behind that. I do. First of all, is it like she managed to get nominated? Therefore, that's a big has a chance to win. Okay, so let me let me let me I let me bounce back to what you said really quick about Silver Linings and Zero Dark Thirty. We also have to remember 
this is Harvey Weinstein at the top of his game. Yeah. He was a big factor still with the Academy here. So, and Jennifer Lawrence, while Chastain was in the Chastain Assance, Lawrence was at the height. She was the it girl. Games and coming off of Winter's Bone and X-Men films like this, Jennifer Lawrence has the type of year that Cher had in 87 to Winter's Yeah. So there's that. Now, to answer the question, do I think Quivenjane Wallace was second in voting? I do, and that's not a bias of my love for the movie. It's because all the signs point to the support. The movie gets in for Best Picture and Best Director. That is insane for that. Like, I remember no one... I remember people being on the fence with her getting in for Actress... I remember people being on the fence with it getting in picture. Nobody expected director. Nobody expected adapted screenplay. Picture, maybe an actress was a gamble because she really only showed up as, at Critics' Choice. Which is not which is not at all. Yeah. It's the least important. Right. So the 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 way that the movie sh- the movie played on nomination morning tells me there was a lot more support than we think. That and is how I feel about Amour. Amour, though, it's celebration. And, he, and here's why I understand why you think. And maybe maybe it's right. Maybe it's Watts for all we know. Like, <laughs> ever really know. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, Emmanuel Riva, the celebration of her for this film came through a more winning foreign language film. It was never going to win picture. Director was a surprise as well. Director, screenplay too. Screenplay was a surprise. But the thing is, is I don't know if, because you have to remember too, this was at a time where older women didn't win Best Actress. No. And I hate having to say that, but ageism really probably played into that. So I don't know. I yeah. think I think the win for her was the nomination and the celebration of being the oldest Best Actress nominee. But that could also play into Quavenjane as well. You never really know. That I think I think Emmanuel Riva, because I I remember people were like the BAFTA is going to say is it Jennifer Lawrence is it just Jessica Chastain which one is going to be, and then they say fuck that we're going to give it to this performer who they had recognized in the past who we want to see win an Oscar, mm-hmm. and she won that, and yeah. I think Amor had more precursor nominations in other categories compared to Beast of the Southern Wild. I think it probably got something at BAFTA aside from her. But the way you say, talk about Beast of the Sudden Wild overperforming, Amor also overperformed. I know, that's what's crazy about that, it. So it, it, I, I don't know if Jessica Chastain, like, I don't, like, predicting her, like, really didn't seem like a, a good move. <laughs> predicting her kind of seemed. To oh, no, be- wait. Amor got director and screenplay at the BAFTA. So there was some precursor support that's that's what's crazy is that on paper there are four actual conceivable best actress winners in this category yeah but i think jennifer lawrence kind of won by a lot now thinking about it (sighs) i hope uh, because the sag win indicates the oscar win Right. But- had had Jessica Chastain won the SAG award, 
I think Emmanuel Riva would have won the Oscar. So the thing is, is that because obviously things are different. Up in, you know, last year with Andrew Day winning the Golden Globe, 19 of the last 20 up until that, up, up until last year of the Golden Globe winners won the Oscar. But only four of those winners were the comedy musical actress. And Jennifer Lawrence won a comedy musical. So statistics at that time still had, kind of had Jessica Chastain in the lead. But that's what's crazy to think about. The BAFTA track record, I think, is more, at least now. It now seems, it is. Now it is. But not even up until last year, it was not. Yeah, that's true. No, maybe until Olivia Coleman, it was not. No, I'm, no, what, I'm, no what I'm saying is um, up until, because Andrew Day was still the front runner to win Best Actress in 2020 due to the stats of the Golden Globe win. That's just how it was. BAFTA mm-hmm. only matched up with one less winner than the Golden Globe. So once BAFTA, once Francis McDormand took BAFTA last year, it matched and took uh-huh. over. So, but this year, all of that was broken. Right. That's what's crazy. That That's what's insane. That's why stats, that's why I- That's why stats, I hate them. That's why they're the worst. <laughs> but if you play the stat game, it's 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 that. I mean, Jessica Chastain technically was the lead here, but, but I don't, I don't see. It I happening. no, I don't. that's I, I me and my loving of foreign language film performances would have predicted Emmanuel Riva to win because I would have wanted it so bad, and I, I get I, it. Like, ah, I don't know. I I think she was second, but Silver Linings Playbook being such a force and Jennifer Lawrence being that popular. Leads I love to how we, by the way, I love how we only have spoken on Jessica Chastain so far. Like we haven't even gotten to the others because we're just like trying to figure out this lineup. Like, well, we can move on. What's, what's going on? We know we well, we talked about Wallace, but Emmanuel Riva in Amour mm-hmm. is nominated the oldest best actress nominee in history at 85 years old. Mm-hmm. What do you think about her performance as Anne? I don't love it. I like it. I don't love it. I like it because it's powerful. It's it's haunting, but most of the movie she's catatonic in bed, and everyone else is acting around her. And her reaction, and I mentioned it earlier with Quavenjane, her reaction is pretty much the same throughout the entire thing. I like it, uh-huh. but I'm not, I don't love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> this is a very well dissected descent. Mm-hmm. I think her character arc is present. I think she does a good job with this illness, very good job. And I think that she does a good job at expressing how she feels without expressing how she feels mm-hmm. because body language is how she can succeed in this world like that that's kind of all she has and she nails it um i understand though because she, she, she can only do so much given the limitations of the location and the character she's playing mm-hmm. but i think it's a really beautifully done character that is extremely subtle and extremely emotional at the same time um I, I understand like people who really don't like Amor. I mean, it's very slow. 
there are literally scenes that go on of, of just like someone washing the dishes or someone like there's like an extensive shot of like I think it's like a minute or even like a minute and a half of just Jean-Louis taking Emmanuel and like walking her to the wheelchair like it is it is brutal but I think that those moments like exemplify how this life cycle towards towards approaching the end works and I think Emmanuel Riva's performance is very much a symbol of dementia from the harsh perspective, from the inner perspective, because she's kind of the backbone of the story. She, she, I think Jean-Louis carries the movie. I think he's more of the protagonist, but she's the backbone of it. Yeah. Um, and she's really good at that. I, I, I love it. Her Oscar clip, never understood that. I thought that was a really- It's weird, it's place. weird. Yeah, <laughs> the, it's, it's the it, spitting. It shows off, off Jean-Louis more than anything. Yeah. So, but I get it's like her reaction to the slap. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I understand why she would have won if she did. But I think Anthony Hopkins in The Father is like a better performance because I mean, that's just a better movie because it Mm -hmm. plays around with time and all these things. But yeah, not not an apt comparison, I guess. (laughs) And then Naomi Watts in The Impossible as Maria Bennett. What do you think of this? performance unless you have more about Emmanuel that you want to no because the thing is is like with with Emmanuel it's it's like I said I like it I don't love it I see why it's nominated but Uh uh-huh as a winner you wouldn't I mean it would give away the ranking I guess but um no I wouldn't no um Watts though okay I have an issue with her that I have the same issue with Nicole Kidman. The Academy doesn't know when to nominate them and they nominate them for their worst performances. Okay, first of all, Naomi Watts should have won for 21 Grams. I would like to say that. Um, So there's that. This is interesting how this seemed to be such a lock for a nomination all season, but get no love anywhere else. I don't really understand how that worked. It also doesn't help that she's not in the right category here. This is a supporting role. If I've ever seen one in this category, I mean, I've seen many, but this mm. is not a lead role. She is not the lead character. They're, the movie is not in her point of view. It she She's gone for more than a shit ton of this movie. Why is she in this category? I'm not too sure, um, but here we Damn. are here we are i i think this movie's terrible and i don't think she's good in it i think it is breathing and panting the performance she doesn't have anything to do and she's not in it that much that's yeah, all i have to say not, it, it's just i don't understand why she was nominated over marianne cotillard that's that's what i mean <laughs> i also i agree with those sentiments i don't think she's really good here either wow how this was a lock though for a nomination from moment one of the season start i don't get it i don't get it i don't get it even if she wasn't, even if she got into supporting, I would still say I don't no. get it. Like, no, I, I wouldn't even, I might even have her last there. Like, I, I just, <sighs> Marianne Cotillard is so good in Rust and Bone. And if she was nominated, this would be like five for five for me. But then they had to do this. And Marianne Cotillard got every precursor nomination for that movie. Every single one. And still miss. It's so infuriating. I hate it so much. Kind of nuts. <sighs> Why? Even the SAG who hates foreign language performances still nominated her. I I don't know. I don't. 
They know. redeemed her though with two days, one night. Not my winner that year, but I she is my runner-up. They redeemed her at least. So <laughs> and then our winner, Jennifer Lawrence, nominated as Tiffany Maxwell in Silver Lining's playbook. What are your thoughts? Not good. Not good. <laughs> Um, this is a miscasting. She's too young for this role. Just like how um, Florence Pugh was way too old for Little Women. She is way too young for this. Um, This is, she's overacting in every moment she can. Even her Oscar scene is embarrassingly bad. Ha ha ha, he he he. Like, no, like, what are you doing? Dial it back. This is the perfect example of less is more. in a performance she's just too young it does it's funny how how her and emmanuel who i think are like the with the two front runners are opposite performances yeah this is so over the top and she's just she's too young for this role this should have gone to an actress who was in her like mid-30s i'm supposed to believe that this 21 year old girl is and mind you i'm 20 when this came out 20 so she would have been 22 actually she's two years older than me that this 22 year old girl is this widow of like a five-year marriage and just is hoeing it up in the office what 22 year old has an office job i know i knew not one 22 year old who was working office we were all doing coke and adderall in the back of a bar (laughs) like get out of here no she's so miscast jennifer lawrence is not jennifer lawrence's best oscar nomination is Winter's Bone. And even that in that lineup where everyone is amazing, she still only comes in third. I love this performance. Okay. <laughs> I would like to... Hear. I have issues with it, though. There are There is a scene where she's arguing with Bradley Cooper on the street, and it's so bad. Like, she's like, what do you think about that fucker? And the it's way she says... So bad. And the way she says fucker just is the weirdest thing. But uh-huh. I don't know. I'm so attracted to this performance for some reason. There is a, it's so entertaining. It's like catnip to me. It's like that movie star Oscar performance that works. And I know people who don't have, I mean, this is an unnamed disability, so I don't know, but I know people who do act like this. So I, I can relate to it. I, so I, I, I get it. There are moments where it's definitely overdone and there are moments where you don't believe that this 21-year-old is has gone through a whole ass marriage and has all these jobs and has all this, but I don't know. There's something about it that I'm so entertained by. One of the original choices who was supposed to play this role was Angelina Jolie, and I, I think she would have been a lot better of a choice. because I don't. Age range for that. No, I, I like I like Jennifer Lawrence as it. I mean, I I mean not, not to bring up sour history with you know this being a Weinstein movie but Rose McGowan would have been a great choice for this role like she would have been really good here I like I don't know there's just I guess we're gonna agree to disagree on this Roger P. Henson would have killed this role oh yeah maybe Uh uh-huh like there's just I like the diner scene though I don't know I think it's good Do do you think Bradley Cooper is better than her okay here we go Silver Linings Playbook should have won every acting category except Jennifer Lawrence. (laughs) Yes, Bradley Cooper is miles better than her. This is Bradley Cooper's best nomination. I agree. This is De Niro's 
No, it's not his best no, nomination. This is not. This no, is, no. Deer Hunter is his best nomination. This should have been De Niro. This should have been Jackie Weaver. This should have been Bradley Cooper. And Jennifer Lawrence, none for you. Goodbye. I would say Helen Hunt. I would say Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix. And we'll get to lead actress in a second. Mm-hmm. Well, as for rankings, let's let's do it Academy Queen style too. So my fifth is, I mean, obviously Naomi Watts. I mean, come on. Yours, yours too. <laughs> I agree. That's me shaking my head. Yes. Um, Naomi Watts is five. Not only is she in the wrong category, she's just not good. <laughs> <laughs> my fourth is Jessica Chastain. Wow. I like her in it. I think she's very good, but I wanted something else and I don't love the movie and that's always detracts for me, even though it shouldn't. Well, my four is Jennifer Lawrence because ha ha ha, he he he. No, terrible, terrible. I'm just a crazy slut with a dead husband. God, <laughs> like no. <laughs> my third is Jennifer Lawrence. I really like it though. Okay. I, I I have a connection to it. I've seen this movie four times, by the way. So I, I, I like it a lot. I remember seeing this movie in the theater. This and Django, seeing this those in the theater, those were the two like biggest crowds of yeah. the lineup for me. So I think the only one I didn't see in theaters were Life High and Lincoln, but everything else I definitely did. Um Number three for me is Emmanuel Riva. She's very middle of the road. She, I like it. I don't love it, but she's definitely better than the other two. That's for sure. My second is Emmanuel Riva. So Covenjane Wallace is my winner. Emmanuel Riva would normally win had she had been nominated the year before. I mean, not saying much, but yeah, she's amazing. And I kind of wish she had one because I think I think she was close. But Covenjane Wallace in Beast of the Sun and Wild is like one of the best performances in this category, let alone like one of the best child performances. Like just saying this is one of the best child performances, that's like kind of a disgrace because it's like categorizing her with like not that many people. So I'm going to say that this is one of the best, best actress nominees of recent years. She's amazing and should have won. And she should have been, I think, our fourth Black Best Actress winner. Who are your other three? The year before Viola. Okay. I would say Angela Bassett and Whoopi Goldberg. Okay. Well, my runner-up is Jessica Chastain. Um, this, up until Eyes of Tammy Faye, because that episode isn't out yet for us on Academy Queens, um, Jessica should have six nominations under her belt and at least four wins, but this is not one of them. Um, and that, yeah, definitely give Quaventionay Wallace the win here. Um, I do think saying best child actress or actor performance is kind of pigeonholing her. And I agree with that. So I'm going to actually do this. I'm going to say one of the best debut performances of all time. Yes, it is. Yes. And she would have been my, wait, fifth black best actress win. So I, the first one I would have given would have been Diana Ross for Lady Sings of Blues over Liza Minnelli. Then I would have given Diane Carroll the win in 74 over Ellen Burstyn. Then I would have given Whoopi Goldberg the win in 85. Angela Bassett the win. And then... 
Yes. Yeah. But there are many that weren't nominated as well. Yeah. Yeah. I would also um, definitely take out Naomi Watts here for Marion Cotillard. Yeah. I, I like, what if Marion, if Marion Cotillard was nominated, like, would I give her the win? Like, would I have done that? I might have just because I'm that, I'm that biased. That's fine. But she wasn't. So I don't need to worry about that. No, you don't. Yeah. This is a good lineup though. It is. It's, 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 it is a solid lineup minus Naomi Watts. Yep. I 100% agree. So I would give Be Southern Wild all four of its not all four of its wins. I would give it everything except adapted screenplay, but the picture win is very loose. That's fair. That's fair. So That's confidence fair. on director and actress. I will I will take it because <laughs> it's still a win. A win's a win. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's a very want, good movie. I want Criterion to release it, even though I own it. I would love this to be in Criterion. I think it probably could be, I would assume. It's it's so weird to me to think that, that we are 10 years removed from this. I can't yeah. fathom that. This was the only movie in 2012 to not win any Oscars out of the Best Picture lineup, which is so annoying. Really is, especially when... Les yeah. Mis won like three awards. Gross. <laughs> I love musicals. Les Mis is not one of them. Nope. I actually think it's the worst musical ever nominated for Best Picture. Is that like a too big of a statement? But like, I actually think so. How far back have you gone in the Oscars? I don't know how many I'm missing, but I've seen all the winners of Best Picture and there are some bad musical winners. But... That is a heavy statement. I know, but I, I, I think so. Are you uh, also yeah. only counting musicals as when they break out in song, or are you counting musicals as, like, where they sing a song? For an example, um, Judy, Renee Zellweger, that is a musical, but it's not a musical in the form of Les Mis. Well, that wasn't nominated for Best Picture, so I can't. No, I, I know that, but there's a reason why I'm asking that. Because if you mm, No, music- I, I don't think so. Okay. Like not and like I think like traditional musical. Like this is this is my least favorite. Okay. Have you seen I, I don't know what? You've seen Oliver? Yeah. And you've seen My Fair Lady. Yeah. Okay. All the winners I've seen. Okay. Okay. I don't like um Hello Dolly at all though. I think that's trash. So maybe like that's second place. <laughs> all right. All right, fair. All right, I'll take it. Considering how much you hated, I'm surprised that you were stunned by that reaction. Hated what? Les Mis? Uh, yeah. I just think that, I mean, if you look at the entire plethora of Academy. <laughs> what if I said it was like Fiddler on the Roof? What would you do? <laughs> I, I gotta go. <laughs> I don't know one person who hates Fiddler on the Roof. That's, I think that's what's so great about that musical is that there's not <laughs> one person that I know who hates them who hates that movie or show it's such a universal there are plenty of people who hate Les Mis it's trash as there should be it's a trash yeah but Uh, any any more comments about Beasts of the Southern Wild or this year's Academy Awards if you haven't seen it see it and um Quivenjane Wallace I welcome her um Oscar from Jennifer Lawrence whenever she decides that uh yeah I shouldn't have deserved this so i'm gonna give it to the person who did 
Yeah, hopefully Jennifer Lawrence just hands it to her one day randomly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but social media, where can people find you? Oh, wait, are we doing that other thing? What other thing? The picture? Right. Fuck, I totally forgot that. You're good, you're good. Two well, little things I wanted to, to do. So if you, so the Academy nominated nine movies for Best Picture this year. Mm -hmm. If you had to pick nine movies from 2012 that you would nominate, what would they be? So I know the, the when you gave me the, and let me make sure I count, them, count these right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Wait, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay, yeah, I did get nine. Okay. Um, when you told me to do this and you asked me, hey, do you want to do this? And I said, yeah, do, do we use, you know, what's here or do we pick something else? You said something else, but my issue is that I only found for me six others that aren't here. Wait, seven other counting, seven others that aren't here that I would add to the list. So I actually cheated and I gave two here from Best Picture that I absolutely would put in this lineup for me. So oh, no, I kept movies that were already nominated. Too. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the two that I choose from the lineup here are Beasts of the Southern Wild and Django Unchained. Those are the two. Outside of that, I would put Paranorman in here. I would put Dread. I would put The Perks of Being a Wallflower, Cloud Atlas, Ooh. Skyfall, Rust and Bone, and Sinister. Interesting. A lot of these have to deal with the experience that i had in the movie theater like sinister to this day sinister and the conjuring are two of these the, the period the two scariest in theater experience i've ever had with a group of people and if you've seen sinister you everyone remembers the lawnmower scene and it scared the shit out of the audience and i was like this is what best picture should be about the experience that movies share you know that's it so that's why that's there cloud atlas Cloud Atlas is an underrated masterpiece with a score. And the score? The score! Oh, yeah. Speaking of score, Beast of Southern Wild, score. And cinematography um, and editing. And, and editing. And, edit and supporting actor. And production design. Mm -hmm. oh. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Put the bathtub together. Wait, really quick. Production yeah. design. Who do we have that year? Lincoln, Anna Karenina, The Hobbit, Les Miserables, Life of Pi. Okay, you can take out terrible lineup. You, you can, can take, take out, out Les Mis. Take out all of those except for Anna Karenina. Just <laughs> Beast of the Southern Wild should have been Beast nominated. Of the there as well. Yeah, never mind. Yeah. Oh, and visual effects. Visual effects with those. Oh yeah. Beast of the Southern Wild was robbed on so much. Ten and nominations, like literally. Give it ten. Literally. The Avengers got a, a visual effects nomination. Like I know people like that movie, but the visual effects in that movie, like in any Marvel movie. But remember, if this is twenty twelve. This is not. I know, but I get it though. I get it now. But yeah, so Cloud Atlas is great. Perks of Being a Wallflower is my generation's um, sixteen candles. It's my generation's Breakfast Club. That's you know, yeah. it's the Millennial Breakfast Club. Um, Dread is. One of the, still one of the greatest films of the last decade that never got its respect and we never got the sequel we should have. And then Paranorman is my all-time favorite animated film. I love Paranorman. So good. So good. How about you? <laughs> what are your what are your choices? Mine is very academy centered. 
Because okay. I, I keep four from the best picture lineup, actually. Okay. I keep Life of Pi, which I know you okay. hate, but I keep a more Silver Linings playbook and Rust and <laughs> Beast of the Southern Wild. My uh-huh. others are Rust and Bone, The Sessions. Oh, okay. Yeah, I love The Sessions. It surprised me so much. Nomination. He should have, and it got, should have got a screenplay nomination, I would say. Mm-hmm. The Master. Okay. The Hunt, which is with Mads Mikkelsen. Mads, yes. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful day. Have you heard of it? No. It's an indie animated movie that is very strange, hypnotic, visually odd. It's by Don Hertzfeld. Okay. It is, it's like an hour long, too. I don't know if it would qualify. Why? I, I'm pretty sure there's a time limit. I believe it has to be at least 75 minutes long. I could be wrong. It was named in best of ye- film lists of that year, though. Right, but Academy standards, that's... Well, right. I'm not the Academy. Okay, fair. Touche. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make sure, because I'm, I'm looking it up now, and it looks interesting. I'm like, oh, I don't know if that hour-long thing could, would hurt it. Well... I this would, sounds interesting. I, it's really good. Out. And it's funny too, but wonky and hypnotic. Okay. Okay. But the sessions is the one I didn't expect to like as much as I did. Have you seen the director's cut version? Yeah, I watched the director's cut version. Okay. It's not it's, that much longer than the original version at all. It just gives you more Helen Hunt, really. I still have her in supporting, though, just because. Just because she isn't in it for like the first good chunk of the film. Yeah. That's Plus, I, I don't want to move her to lead because it would confuse things. <laughs> if she's in lead, do you give her the win? No. Okay. That's fair. I'm so glad we did this. I'm so glad when you asked me to come on originally <laughs> and I was like, you're like, do you want to talk about Karen Black? And I was like, yes. I was like, I also want to talk about Quivengine. And you're like, we could do that too. I was like, yeah. Because usually... <laughs> Usually people like to wait like a year in between and I was really disappointed. And then you're like, no, let's just do it. I'm like, yes. no, no, I don't. I'm not going to do that to people. They can yeah. come that on. But I have another little game. Yeah. So there are, I think, but I don't know the exact number, but it's between like 10 and 15 performances by women who were nominated at younger than 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Two in Best Actress and the rest in Supporting Actress. And I'm going to give you a quote from one, and you're going to have to try to guess which performance this is. Who have been nominated. Yeah, and, 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 and if you can't get all, I'll name another actor in the movie. Okay. So this, this, this is the quote for the first one. And none of these are Quovenjane Wall. So this is the quote. There was no gladness when I was born. When I was born, my twin brother died and took our mother with him. That would be 2003's Keisha Castle-Hughes in Whale Rider. Yes, that is. Mm-hmm. What do you think of her? Um, I don't understand why she has that nomination. I like that she has it, but I don't agree with that nomination. I don't. Okay. What about you? I love it. I think she's okay. amazing. And the but runner I, up. But, you know, I give the win that year to Naomi Watts for 21 Grams. She's amazing. Who I have, who I have last. So. You really? <laughs> I'm trying to see really quick who, if, if I actually have 
No, I have Samantha Morton last that year. I, I like I like Keisha Castleby's, even though Will Ryder feels like a Disney Channel original. <laughs> Does oh my god, I, I still also cannot believe that's they that they ran her supporting for that. That and the fact that the Oscars were like, you know what, fuck that, and actually right. did the right thing. Oh god. Crazy. Yeah. Um. The next is this. Listen, mister, it's your time. 15 minutes ain't long. When that cigarette burns out, your time is up. That would be 1976 Jodie Foster and Taxi Driver. How are you getting these so quickly? Because I am that fucking good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And what do you think of her? I think she's, I think she's good. I mean, I, she's, middle category for me um I think I rank her three in that lineup um but you know I always say that Jodie Foster is the forgotten child nominee because you don't think of her when you think of her nominations you don't think of Taxi Driver no but looking at this lineup I have her third yes I have her same yeah who do you have winning that year Piper Laurie same and my second is Beatrice Strait my second is Jane Alexander. She's my fourth. Fair. Yeah. Um, Lee Grant is dead last, though. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Here's, so, Taxi Driver is weird. I think that it's, you don't really, sometimes it's like, if you're a child actor and you get nominated, it's like you have your Colvin Janay Willis, who hasn't done much yet, but hopefully you said she has projects coming up, so that's different. But you also have, like, a Tatum O'Neill or, like, a Justin Henry who like you don't know what what they're gonna do after but then you have like Jodie Foster or like Anna Paquin Mm -hmm. so you don't know what to like expect when a child actor is nominated for an Oscar you really don't true and speaking of Justin Henry should have won should have won should have won (laughs) should have won uh and then our final one yes I saw him I saw him with my own eyes that would be the very undeserved nomination of Sarah Ronan in Atonement. In I think you mean very deserved nomination. Okay. <laughs> Did you listen to that episode? No. Okay. Spoiler alert. But I, I should because you probably talk good about Marion Cotillard. So I. I do. I so. do. Because <laughs> she's my winner that year. It's one of the few times the Academy ever has gotten it right. Was it's Marianne. true. I mean, anyone who doesn't have her as the winner is crazy but um yeah what was crazy because we had uh jd duran who is the editor for in session film and then myself obviously and then brandon and both brandon and jd picked elliot page and i they thought i would pick elliot page and i was like no like this is marion i remember at the time i wanted elliot page to win but i was like stupid and no, not saying they're stupid, but I was stupid being like 14 years old, but or 15 or whatever it came out. But anyway, um, no, I have Ruby D winning that year for American Gangster, but I, for the first time in Academy Queens history, had disqualified two people because their nominations are two of the worst ever in this category. And that was Sarah Ronan and Kate Blanchett. I'm gonna say I agree with Kate Blanchett. People are obsessed with that performance. Makes no sense. It is my least favorite Kate Blanchett performance. Same. 
she's so bad and they but i love saoirse ronan in atonement they love her for that and then hate her for elizabeth too and she's so much better in elizabeth too that Uh, i think she's terrible in both and i think she's dead last in both lineups (laughs) i think she's better in elizabeth the golden age than she is elizabeth i think she's terrible in both (laughs) i have Um, her last in both years no i yeah i i i don't like any of Saoirse Ronan's nominations I think all four of them are really bad the highest she gets for me ever is Little Women and that's only because of the lineup is so bad trash so yeah (laughs) yeah that was yeah but you got it so quickly no, they, I like that too because I was like, I wasn't sure if I would get any, but I, the, it was one of those things that's it's stuck in my brain the moment you said, I'm like, oh, I know who this is. There was one performance that I hadn't heard of, and it's Bonita Granville in these three. I've never heard of that. Oh, God. Okay. Good. Let's talk about that. So this that is, was the- this, is, this is a chaotic, unhinged conversation. But- yes. That it's was the, that was the year that supporting actress had come to fruition. That, that was the first year of supporting actress uh, nominees. These three was actually remade in the '60s with Audrey Hepburn, Shirley MacLaine, and I forget what the movie was like. The Children's Hour. Oh, oh, that's what that is. Children's Hour. The Children's Hour. Yes, that's what it, that is. This is a remake of this film. And this little bitch. Oh, she plays. Oh, she plays that character. Yes. And this, she, her, the, the, she's not bad in the movie, but the she, homophobe. Yes. She is a lot to the <laughs> point where at that time when that movie came out, the sound systems in theaters broke because they couldn't handle the vibration of her screaming it's a lot, but is That's it a kind bad? of hilarious? But I don't think I've seen everyone in that nominee the nominee list to give an answer if I think she should win or not. But she's a lot there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that was a little game that I prepared. Yeah, um, I appreciated that. Yeah, but I think there's nothing else I have to add. Uh, <laughs> where can people find you, Joey? Uh, you can find me at my personal, which I don't use too often, Joey Gentilly 1992. Um, that's on Twitter. Um, Academy Queens with my wonderful co-host Brandon Stanwick is Academy under Academy underscore Queens at the Twitter.com. And uh, you can find me on Venmo if you'd like to send me money, because I like money. Um, I've actually I say that on every podcast and I've actually gotten money from that. So I will always pitch, I will always throw that in. Um, you can find me there at Joey Gentilly dash two. Um, but uh, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I am on Twitter at Sam the Parasite, Letterbox, Sam Meltzer. Please review and rate this podcast on whatever podcast service you use. And thank you all for listening.